Hello and welcome to the Duelist Unity movie review series, episode six. I am not in control, and that's okay. And I am happy to hear you say that because it's an illusion that all of us fall victim to. It's something that's so easy to invest in because it has such a payoff emotionally, this illusion of control. And yet it cuts us off from everything and everyone. We get so involved with the strategy just to avoid the fear and don't realize that the strategy reinforces that fear. So it becomes a vicious circle. And on that note, today's Dualistic Unity movie review is about the movie Instinct, which came out in 1999 and stars Anthony Hopkins, Cuba Gooding Jr., Maura Tierney, and Donald Sutherland. Now, if you've never seen this movie, there's a link in the description. Go and check it out before we go any further in this episode, because this movie is not in the same vein as the last few movies that we've been reviewing. This movie is very much about the world as it is, how we got here, and the nature of captivity. And I say that specifically as a reference to the book that this movie was based upon. The, the book that it was based upon is actually, sorry, which was Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. If you haven't read that book, I definitely recommend you do so. It's very different than this movie, but they have the same message. Definitely worth reading as much as this movie is worth watching. And if you're a fan of Anthony Hopkins, this is definitely one of his best. Just to begin, the movie itself starts off in Africa where Anthony Hopkins is a prisoner in an African jail. Uh, he's quiet, he's not saying a word. The guards are obviously threatened by him. They're very, very cautious as he's in his cell and they load him into a truck, ultimately on his way back to the United States where he is from. So the American government has made arrangements with the African government to get this prisoner back because he is a professor in anthropology from a renowned university. Now, what's interesting about this is that he's obviously different from the beginning of the movie. He's nonverbal. He's not talking at all. And when he's put into the truck, you can see the guards who obviously have a beef with him, though they don't explain why at this time, are trying to intimidate and even hurt him. They put him in a truck with two vicious dogs, expecting to open up the truck later and find those dogs chewing on him. And instead, the dogs are lying with him peacefully as he is quietly sitting in the truck. And so there is more to this character than you would assume, but you don't know what that is going into the movie. And then of course the movie moves on to him arriving in the United States at the airport, once again, still quiet, being escorted by federal agents. And then he has a bit of a meltdown because of his environment, because of the noise, because of the lack of empathy, because of so many different influences in that, in that moment. And that's where the movie starts off. And so, Andrew, I know you haven't seen this movie before. I'm very excited to hear your thoughts about it because there's a lot in it. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's so many overarching themes throughout the movie. I think, as we indicated in our, in our intros, being control, the illusion for control, the desire for control, the idea that it actually is something that exists. And there's so many instances throughout the movie where human beings show that they actually think control is a real thing. And so Ethan in the movie played by Anthony Hopkins shows or, or kind of has relaxed into the recognition that control is an illusion. Like he very much understands that deeply. And through that, his walls are down and he's very sensitive to his environment and is able to 
therefore connect with animals. And as, as we find out later in the movie, through his life lived, you know, two years lived in the jungle with an ape family, he recognizes how little control there actually is, but through awareness and sensitivity to his environment, he's still able to connect with something that people who think control is a real thing would never be able to connect with because they'd be so overcome with fear that they wouldn't be able to have that sensitivity to connect with a wild animal. And so it's shown in that intro when the guards throw the dogs in with him, they're vicious dogs and they come out like very chill and calm and, and almost in a sedated state because that's where he is at. And so as he moves back into society, I think one of the first kind of, uh, I don't know, electric scenes is when he's in the airport and kind of running through and more or less acting like an ape. And there's so much like this is another instance where, you know, the guards, police think they are in control because he is, you know, cuffed and kind of being watched by guards. And then he's basically through probably, I don't know, living in the jungle for two years is, with apes has developed kind of capabilities that humans don't typically have. And he's basically able to overwhelm an entire airport police police force and, and security guard system. And so that scene is just kind of fascinating to see the lack of control as the reality of that situation, despite everyone around him thinking they do have control of him and his physical abilities. And that's a consistent theme throughout the movie. It's so interesting because in the case with the dogs in the truck, the dogs responded to Ethan's mentality. They calmed down. But whenever he was dealing with humans, the humans were almost oblivious to his mentality. They were so caught up in their own mentality and what they were doing like in the airport especially you could see he was visibly disturbed by the noise by the lack of empathy that was going on the tapping on the door like all of it was building was building is building you could see it he was pacing and yet none of the guards clued in none of the guards responded with any degree of, of sensitivity or empathy at all and it's interesting you were saying like how strong he was in dealing with those guards it was because it was instinctual it, right. It wasn't necessarily trying to control the outcome. He was trying to protect himself. He was doing something that was a priority. And so he was throwing everything he had into it. Whereas human beings, when we get into a fight, we don't usually do that. We're just trying to hurt the other person. We're trying to prove ourselves egotistically. He wasn't doing that. He was fighting for his life. Right? And that's why there was so much force in it, just like animals, right? Animals, they'll throw everything they've got into making sure that that danger goes away. You know, we've largely lost that because we're always in control and we've kind of numbed ourselves to a very large degree. So I thought that was really interesting. And then, of course, after the fact, now that we've been introduced to Ethan's character and he's obviously going to jail because he's unstable, we meet Theo, played by Cuba Gooding Jr. And what I love about Theo's character is that he's so cocky. He's so in control, or at least seemingly in control. We meet him and he is... Uh, He's becoming a psychologist. He's dealing with clients. He's almost too sure of his ability to connect with those clients. And it's because he is empathetic. He's a very intelligent person. There's a lot to Theo's character, but it's all lost in this ambitious drive 
to further his career, to play the game as he, as he expresses later on in the movie. And so I really think it's interesting that all of a sudden Theo, who prides himself on being so good at being in control of the situation, comes face to face with Ethan. Yeah. And I believe when they first meet, is that at the table in the in the jail? Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, Theo has this sort of aura about him as if he's untouchable, basically, is is how it seems. And so because of his position, because, you know, he's he's now coming into this jail, but he's not a prisoner. He has the guards around him. I feel like he has this idea that nothing bad could possibly happen. And then so he gets he, he's his cockiness kind of leads him to because he thinks he's untouchable, kind of push the boundaries of things. And so starts talking to Ethan, expressing different things. He is quite he comes off very empathetic and and kind of knows how to get or at least thinks he knows how to get through to someone in that type of situation. And like there's no challenge too great for Theo. And so he, he relishes in this opportunity to get a guy who is not talking to anyone and is coming off of, you know, being put in jail for murder in Africa. Like he's very confident that he's going to be able to get him to talk. And, and so one of the things that he does, he gets him, I forget exactly what he's trying to get him to write down, but basically gives him a writing utensil being a pencil and kind of reaches it across and shoves something over and Ethan grabs the pencil and basically tries to stab him in the hand. And I think Theo's a little bit caught off guard because he doesn't recognize that Ethan isn't playing by the same type of rules. He doesn't feel like he has anything to lose. So he's willing to kind of push the boundaries and go to the edge of what would even be considered too far by most prisoners. And Theo's not used to that. And so it, there's a process and there's another incredible scene um, that we'll get to soon where Theo kind of starts to understand that maybe he's not in quite as much control as he once thought. Before we get to that scene, because I knew that you would resonate with that scene, I'd like to discuss a little bit more of this mentality of control that we see within this movie, because it's almost always in response to fear. Like the fact that the movie itself takes place in a prison is very telling, because right there is our society's fixation on control. They even say this, this prison is designed to house 700 people. We have a thousand. At what point do we start to see that that system's not working? Right, but we don't. We continue to build prisons, and largely in the states because they're private enterprises and are very, and they're very profitable. So it's important to remember that too. But I thought the relationship between the guards and the patients or the inmates that they called psychotics was really interesting. And I'm specifically talking about the Ace of Diamonds, the playing card. That right there is very much our society in a nutshell. Like they just and they said it. We do it this way because it keeps them focused on each other and not the guards, right? It keeps the inmates hating one another, fearing one another, so they're not focused on the people imprisoning them. That's so telling. And then they reward the bullies for being divisive because it benefits the guards in them doing so. And that's the system. That's our government as a whole. They keep us arguing amongst ourselves. So we never turn and focus on what they're doing to imprison us. 
we're always focused on trying to get our own little bit of freedom. We're all trying to get the same ace of diamonds and why? So we can have some small little space and feel like we're a little bit more free than we were. Right? The game is rigged. And I loved that part of the movie because it's significant in our culture. And later on, as Theo starts to learn his lessons, the fact that he challenges that system openly and that everybody in that system backs him up. Not everybody at first, especially not the bully who was taking advantage of that system and benefiting all the time. But all of a sudden, everybody felt more equal. Everybody had a right to at least have a chance to be a little bit more free. I really enjoyed that part of the movie. And I think it played a big part into even Ethan's development as a person. Yeah, the symbolism there is pretty incredible, especially just thinking about the U.S. and how divided of a nation we are. And I'm not saying it's only the U.S. that gets, you know, divided by different political parties and viewpoints and any type of identity based belief system, even fucking sports and whatnot. But uh, yeah, in that in that scene, as you mentioned, with the Ace of Diamonds, how they there's very much a strategy behind it that it's almost like whether or not the inmates recognize the strategy they're not because they're so narrowly focused they're not willing to to recognize what's actually going on or or even look beyond that because they're so caught up in thinking that you know I just want this little bit of freedom and this person is the one stopping me from getting there this person who has the card is the one stopping me rather than the ones creating the system or looking at the system and and they don't recognize that they're all being manipulated by this system no differently than everyone on both the right and the left whatever political party whatever religious belief system whatever socioeconomic class that you're in are all within the same type of fucked up system and we keep trying to blame each other for how it's going you know blame these people blame those people blame this, blame that, and not recognizing that it's the it's the system as a whole that's the issue. And, and from the outside, so in this movie, watching this movie, it's very clear that there's, there's an issue with the system. And the system doesn't really care that it's manipulated by those inside. You know, the, the bully just walks around beating everyone up who might have the card until he gets the ace of diamonds. It's like they actually want that to happen. They don't care if it's fair or not. They don't care if there's people who have basically a 0% chance of ever going outside. And it's pretty much just one guy every single day because they're not the focus, despite being the ones that create that system. So, you know, looking at it from our societal point of view, if we can recognize that there's a broken system at place that's impacting everyone. And rather than always constantly trying to get the to the top of that system, maybe there's another way to live in which we begin to dismantle this system that is perpetuating this divisive mentality and perception of lack throughout our entire lives and, and reinforcing this idea that we do have control of what we're going through or, or the system that we live within or, or the, our ability to move, move up in the world. And if we let go of that desire thinking that our value is at all derived from how much of that we get we may see that there's some overarching issues that we're all dealing with and if we all came together 
and understood that actual change could be made. Because that's actually what the change was, was the fact that there wasn't such a divide between the guards and the inmates. There was suddenly somebody on the side of the guards or on the side of the, of the prison staff who was empathizing with the inmates. And it wasn't just Theo. It was also the other doctor as well who started to turn around as the movie progressed. As he saw that Theo wasn't giving up either, he started to get a bit more of a, a backbone himself. He started to stand up for that change as well. And so it was just in recognizing empathy and empathizing with the patients or empathizing with the inmates that they were actually able to change the relationship, right? Even towards the end of the movie, I really enjoyed that when the one uh, inmate took the, uh, the television cord and ran away with it. And instead of beating him as they would have at the beginning of the movie, one of the younger guards who had been watching everything change over time with Theo and Ethan and whatnot just went up and he's like, you know, can you give it to me, buddy? It's my birthday. I'd really appreciate it. Like it was a totally different tactic. It was a totally different response from the inmate as well. He's like, for you, right? So the relationship had totally changed. And it was because of that bridge, because there was some empathy there instead of just people playing their role in order to feel like they were in control. So I really enjoyed that part of the movie, but back to Ethan's progress. I really enjoy the fact that uh, throughout Ethan's path through this movie, he goes from being very quiet deliberately. It's not that he can't talk. He just doesn't see a reason to talk. And then when Theo tries to push him, passes him a pencil, he's almost playing with Theo at that point where he's just like, I'm not going to show you what I'm drawing because you're trying to control me. And then Theo's like, what are you drawing there? And he tries to, and he goes to stab him in the hand. And it's like, you don't have control. You don't have control. And that's something that Theo does not understand. He does not understand how he can't have control. He's always been in control. And so there's something here for Theo to learn. It's challenging for him. It's a little off-putting as well, but he starts to get into it and he gets them to lower Ethan's medication. So that way he's actually able to speak. And they have their second meeting over the table. And what I thought was really interesting is that in that second meeting, Theo once again gave Ethan the pencil. He gave it back to him. He recognized, I don't have control. We're going to try it anyway. And I think that's the reason that that meeting was so different than the first. I think that's the reason that Ethan spoke in that meeting was because Theo was willing to come back regardless of not having control, regardless of having the shit scared out of him in that first meeting. He still came back. And I think Ethan respected him for that. Yeah, it's like he, without necessarily saying it ever, he was, he was expressing that he was letting go more and more of control. And just between those two meetings and giving him the pencil both times. And obviously, you know, we knew what happened the first time he tried to stab his hand off. And, and then the second time to still go back and be like, Hey, kind of symbolically saying, Hey, I know I don't have control of you, but here's a pencil. I I'm placing my lack of desire for control underneath my willingness to do what I need to do to get you to interact with me like he was he was showing theo was displaying his willingness and almost investment in getting ethan to speak and pushing like actually help him because at the end of the day he did want to help ethan even though i think earlier on it was probably more for selfish reasons and towards the end it was more so for 
just humanitarian reasons, like empathetic reasons, seeing himself in Ethan and the potential for him to act in the same exact way that Ethan had, if he could just figure out why he did it, because he, he felt, I felt like he knew the whole time that there was some good reason. He couldn't make sense of why someone like this would do this, especially when Ethan started showing his more of his true colors. And so I think that, you know, going back to that second meeting was very symbolic of him letting Ethan, Theo, letting Ethan know that he knew he didn't have control, but he was okay with it, whether he consciously knew of it or not. And so that leads us then into our third, I believe it's the third meeting then when shit really starts to go down and they're talking and this time it's not in the open gym at a table, it's in an office and uh, Theo gets the guards to all leave, let him, let him out and let him out of uh, Ethan out of his handcuffs as well. And so they start talking and then it's a even stronger display of how much control is really involved in this situation. And it's clear that Theo is still holding on to the idea and is still kind of, kind of cocky about it saying like, I still got this. I don't need guards. I, I can, deal with you without the handcuffs on like he still has faith in the in the system that Ethan certainly has has none of and is willing to show Theo just how little he has it's interesting because that was actually their fourth meeting the third meeting went way smoother and it was also in private that's where they started to really trust one another at least that's where they started to open up so he shared how he ended up with the apes he shared the the experience of working out there, going back and forth with the apes, eventually living with them longer and longer and longer each day. And then that was the end of the third meeting. It went over fairly smoothly. And so all was well. So the next meeting, they figured, okay, let's do this again. But this time Theo was cockier. He wanted to get somewhere. He really was trying to push. And it wasn't enough to just listen to what Ethan was saying. He's like, I want to talk about your daughter. Let's talk about your daughter. I think we should talk about your daughter. And Ethan kept saying, let it go, back off. But no, Theo had to be in control, despite having a conversation right then and there about the taker mentality. Theo was completely ignoring it. And Ethan even responded, taker, I'd like to go back to my cell now, taking control away from Theo. Theo didn't like that. He's like, no, I, I say when you go back to your cell. And so he was really pushing Ethan. He was really trying to show like, I have control. And again, in reality, where you're not just trying to prove your ego, when you threaten something's existence, it fights back. And it fights back for good reason. And Ethan is in that mentality. And so he just loses it right then and there. He actually shows Theo, how much control do you think you have by physically dominating him, covering his mouth with duct tape and threatening his life? And so at that moment, Theo has nothing. There's nothing he can do. And he even says, like, you think I don't know you? I used to be you. You know, I'm so deep in the pit now. What can they do to me if I kill you? So Theo's terrified. He's terrified. And so Ethan asks him, what have I taken from you? And I love that scene. Yeah, that uh, that whole thing is uh, just, it's it's like the peak of sort of the, 
display of how little control Theo has, despite still holding on to it. And I think through that example, he's able to recognize how little he actually does. And so, yeah, going through it, uh, Ethan has Theo in a, in a headlock, basically, and is forcing him to write down, you know, what have I taken from you? What have you lost? What have you lost? And he's like screaming at him. So it's very high stress sort of situation and is like threatening his life at the same time, as you said, explaining to him how little he has to lose, which is true. Like he's deep, deep in the shit. Like there's nothing for murder. So like, what's another murder on top of, you know, two or three? It's not a whole lot. And so initially, I think like the first who gets it wrong twice and he writes down uh, what, what like, what have you lost my control and my freedom? And then he's like, no, no, one more try, one more try. And finally writes down my illusions. He's like, oh, good. Good job. Good boy. And gives him a little kiss on the cheek. Pretty funny uh, at, at, towards the end of that scene. It's intense initially, but it's. And he even says after I think he writes down the first when he writes down lost my control, Ethan even says to him, like, you never had control and basically says, you know, that control has always been an illusion. Like, what have you lost? What have you lost? And finally says my illusions. And it's just a fantastic, uh, fantastically symbolic scene about just how little control we really have of anything and how. We still, despite maybe conceptually understanding that, like almost subconsciously still cling to that control and that idea that we know what's going on, that we know what's best for us, that we know, you know what people think of us, that we know what the the situation that we're in actually means. And this is one of the massive overarching themes and something else that uh, Ethan expresses is how much safer he felt in the jungle than he does in a city surrounded by humans. And it just is very telling of how over the years, you know, the last 10,000 years or so, how we've gotten more and more out of touch with the reality of what nature really is. And we've done that while simultaneously trying to cling to more control that we never actually had. And, and through the clinging of that illusion of control, we've actually lost touch with what is happening in each moment and the awareness that is necessary for each moment to the point that like we hardly have to pay attention to anything anymore. And, you know, an example I like to bring up is like a crosswalk on a in a city like, you know, we just don't have to even be aware of if the cars are coming. We can just watch the sign and that tells us and then like gives us a walk and we walk. But you know, sometimes cars run red lights or something, or they're not paying attention. And then your lack of awareness comes back to, to bite in the ass. And, and even going beyond that, if we were to go back to living in the jungle, there's so much fear in that from being in the rawness of the wilderness that we avoid it. Like we, we don't do that anymore at all. Instead we build, you know, buildings and walls and and nature gets smaller and smaller and smaller as opposed to adapting to those environments like we don't even have to adapt anymore we just change the environment to adapt to us thinking that that puts us in control so we're able to have this illusion 
And a lot of people are able to hold on to it for a very long time, but it's something that we never had. And it's constantly getting questioned at the same time. And it creates a lot of discomfort and fear and pain and suffering when we feel like we're losing it. But the reality is that we never actually had it. So as you can relax into that, you won't be as jarred or taken aback when you feel like you're losing it because you know, it didn't actually exist in the first place. One of the things I enjoy about the movie as it continues on is that we see the progress of, of Theo recognizing the nature of control and, and the consequence of control, specifically with the warden of the prison, who is even more controlling than anything I think Theo has ever encountered. He was basically saying, it's my way or the highway. And there was no room for negotiation whatsoever. And so Theo was understanding all of a sudden what it was like when he was dealing with Ethan saying like, I make the rules and he's getting it from someone else. So it's right then and there. But as we see that, and Ethan is starting to talk more and he's starting to express more of these thoughts that he has that are valuable that nobody would appreciate until Theo came along. You see him draw that map in his prison cell, the map of the history of the world, a simplified history of the world. But what he's showing is that there was tribal humanity and then there was a group of humans that traveled north, went far away and developed an entirely different mentality and then came back and wiped out everybody else, the takers, the mentality of control, the empire builders is what he was referring to. And so he shows this entire history. And it's really interesting to see how far back it goes, because it goes back like 10,000 plus years that we've been on this journey of slowly becoming more and more egotistical, slowly becoming more and more out of touch, slowly becoming more and more takers. And then you have Theo's journey of becoming less and less of a taker throughout that movie on top of Ethan's journey that he's communicating about the step-by-step -step process he went through to eventually being accepted by the apes. One item at a time, you see him letting go of who he thought he was. That's the beautiful part about that entire story about how he ends up with the apes is that it's so gradual. It's so organic. It gets actually just a feeling of community, a feeling of love and familiarity that's building just through being together. And I love the scene where he's sitting outside the group, getting closer and closer as time goes on. And then all of a sudden, another one of the apes comes along and sits beside him and he's in the group, just like that. There was no word said, there was nothing communicated, but the feeling changed. And then as he stayed with the apes more and more, he'd let go of more of his things, like uh, his machete, his binoculars, like all of these things that gave him comfort and control. He was letting go right down to the moment when he was sitting in the rain with all the other apes and he was covering his head with a leaf as humans do. And he's looking around at all the other apes and they're like, dude, it's raining. It's not doing much for you. Right. And so he finally just lets it go. Like what's, what's even the point? So you see him having this, this transition into letting go of control and in communicating that Theo is having a transition into letting go of control. And through all of that, the inmates in the prison are starting to transition into a, a mentality of having less control and even some of the guards. And I think that's the whole point is just like the takers took over the world one ripple at a time, the taker mentality will disappear one ripple at a time, but it comes through empathy. Yeah, and looking at the prison that most of the movie takes place within, it's almost like, you know, our current system of control or that system that uh, Ethan was expressing on the map of you know, the takers versus the tribal society. And so I saw that, you know, the the entire prison is kind of that system. And post 
takers taking over the world to creating this, you know, situation that is in total control, or at least thinks that it is. And then Ethan coming in as more of the representation of the tribal society, the non-taker mentality, and is kind of like infiltrating the system one by one. And where Theo starts out very much on the taker side, despite his intentions, despite his certain aspirations that, you know, are, you could argue are beneficial to people outside of himself, but he's mostly focused on himself and getting what he wants out of the situation for himself. And so he's very much on the end of the spectrum that is more on the taker side of the mentality, as well as, you know, all the guards, even, even the inmates are kind of representative of the system that we're there in. And over time, Ethan is actually able to begin to bring people back towards the other end of the spectrum, not having such a strong desire for control, relinquishing that idea that, you know, throughout his years in a tribal environment with the apes, he was actually able to let go of that mentality one by one, as you were just explaining. So then he was able to come back to another system that is very wrapped up in that idea of control and sort of one by one through different interactions with different people within that sort of mini society, he was able to shift the overarching environment and the overarching mentality more towards, you know, the tribal type mentality until as, you know, the scene you already expressed towards the end when one of the inmates pulls the plug and, you know, the guards don't respond with just pure violence, thinking that, oh, we lost control of this guy. Now we have to get it back by, you know, beating it back into him. They're just able to relate to him and it actually ends up significantly better for everyone. You know, they get the cord back. No one's beaten. No one has to lash out because that takes something out of the guards too. And even despite their desire for control and, and the feeling like they got it back, they're still sacrificing that sort of humanity for it. And so I just saw it very interesting. I found it very interesting that throughout the movie, the overarching system of control that the that the prison sort of represents is begins to shift one by one. And it's not to say that the entire thing changes. It's still that structure is still there, but the mentality within it certainly changes. And it started with Ethan. Absolutely. It's such an interesting transition. Ethan actually really sums it up well when he says there's freedom on the other side of the fences that we've built for ourselves. And that's very much the process that everybody in the movie is, is going through to a very large degree, finding their own freedom, letting go of their own fences, letting go of their own idea of themselves, their own obligations, their own requirements that they have to live up to, that invisible bar that's not there. And Theo communicates it in the last conversation that he has with Ethan. Because Ethan at one point asks him, you know, what keeps you up at night, sweating and, and anxious? And Theo thinks about it. He's like, the game. It's the game that keeps me up at night, making sure I'm good with everyone. What does this person think of me? What does this person think of me? And it's funny, he admits he's good at the game. And yet it still keeps him up at night. It's still a checklist that he can't ever get rid of. That's the cost of the idea of control. There's never enough. You always have to keep up. There's no freedom in it. There's no peace in it at all. And so I think it's so interesting that 
Ethan's mentality had so shifted from the worldly things that everybody else values, including his own freedom to some degree, that he was willing to give all of that up when he saw one of the inmates that was becoming his new family threatened. To him, that was the important part. He could always return to the peace within himself, disconnect from the world entirely, but it was worth it to protect that person. He was very much acting like the silverback that, that was trying to protect him in the jungle. And so when all of that collapses and Ethan at the end of the movie goes once again quiet, the first time I watched that movie, it was very sad at that point. But then when you see him after Theo leaves and they have their talk and he's got the pen and he's still working on escaping, you're like, <laughs> you're still just choosing to be quiet. Everybody assumes he's gone catatonic, but it's, it's will. He's actually willing himself to just disconnect. He finds everything else unimportant. Freedom is basically the only thing he's thinking about, either in his mind or externally. But if he can't get over the fences externally, then he's going to be free in his mind first. So that's why I think it's really interesting when he leaves the note behind and the warden looks at Theo. He's like, I don't understand what this means. And Theo just smiles. He's like, you're never going to find him. Yeah, all of that. Like there, there's to the mentality of control that's represented by, you know, all the the warden and all the guards. They they can't understand where Ethan is coming from throughout the entire thing. And he's always like a couple steps ahead. They They see it very much on the surface of just his actions and don't understand his mentality and there's his deeper sort of the deeper reasons for what he's doing because they're not paying attention they're just seeing him and especially you know in that last scene chipping away at the lock the entire time and all they see is him like looking out the window oh he's just you know he wished he knows he fucked up for protecting that guy and you know beating up the warden and whatnot and he's clearly just you know longing to be free and they just make all these assumptions based on their own assumptions and based on their own fears and you know desires to be free they're like oh he must you know want that too which they're not wrong about but because they don't pay very close attention because they really don't care about him at all they uh they don't recognize that he's chipping away like actually finding the freedom there throughout the entire time so they just kind of leave him alone and right under their nose he's he's escaping but as as you already brought up that scene uh towards the end where it's basically a, a replication of the scene where his family is killed by the poachers his ape family is killed by the poachers when the guard comes in and starts beating on his fellow inmate and and so he goes to protect him because he has his priorities and it's basically comes down to protecting those he loves and he's willing to throw everything out the window because as the movie is so aptly named his because of his instincts his instincts to do the right thing at all times is really kind of and i say right thing you know in quotes what feels best based on those innate instincts that over the years we have kind of suppressed, like we don't even know how to listen to our instincts right now because we hold on to these ideas of what we should be doing, the right thing to do based on what the rest of society is doing that we can't even hear our own instincts anymore. And those are loud and clear to Ethan throughout the entire movie to the point that he's able to push everything else aside to follow those instincts, be it, you know, becoming free or doing what he thinks is best or sending a message to Theo 
you know, in all of those scenes in, in the scene, especially where he asks him what he thinks he took, he puts that lesson above his desire for freedom because he finds that in that moment as more important. So Ethan, I think out of anyone in the movie by far has his priorities in a line significantly more clearly than, you know, anyone else in the movie because his, his instincts are there for him. He can actually hear them. He's not suppressing them. He's not overlaying them with what he thinks he should be doing based on the idea of what he wants to become. He's just following those in each and every moment. And he saw the difference between the taker mentality and our current mentality so vividly. He was so aware of the stark difference between, say, the mentality that ran the prison and our society and the mentality that he had experienced with the apes, that he had nothing but this conviction not to go back to that mentality. So much so at the beginning of the movie, the first word he said was in response to Ethan, asking him, like, are, are you really willing to leave your daughter behind? What will you say to her? And the only thing he says at that point is goodbye. And that did not change throughout the entire movie. He still knew he was leaving. But he was leaving a message. And it was important that he leave that message. And so he got into it, as you said, fully, wholeheartedly, regardless of what it might mean to him and the consequences. And it was an incredible story for that reason. I'm really glad that you enjoyed this movie. I'm sure you're going to get more out of it when you watch it again at some point in the future, because I did this time, and I've already watched it three or four times in my lifetime. Like I said, it came out in 99, so it's been quite some time since that movie was released. But dear listener, if you have not watched the movie by this point, I hope that we have convinced you that it's worthwhile to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the symbolism, the how they were able to tie together our societal mentality and just put on display so clearly how little control we really have despite still holding on to the illusion of it almost at all times throughout our life was pretty incredible and yeah there's there's so much to it that i'm excited to watch it again at some point but yeah i i really enjoyed it and glad we were able to you know break it down in this episode as well Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the next movie review episode. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We look forward to next week. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone.